Welcome to Australian Hunger, I'm your host Ben. And today's show I'm going to interview with three guitarists from Canberra, Polish rock band Lost Coast. Before then, I want to talk a little bit about again COVID-19, which I did talk about last time. It's a little worrying the fact that you know it's become even more relevant since I last talked about it about three weeks ago. Um, so there was an article. There's been a bunch of articles. There was an article in ABC, ABC News, which talked a little bit about. The impact, and this was an article I got a while ago, and this was when Dark Mofo was being cancelled. And it was at the stage that download looked like it would be going ahead, which is no longer the case. Um, but David Walsh, who runs Dark Mofo, had a couple of quotes in there, which I think are kind of relevant to some of these big, big high-scale events that we've been seeing cancelled. And this is from the article. Dark Mofo said the risk of delaying the decision of having to cancel the festival at the last minute was too high and could have ended the event permanently. Right now, the government and Mona are each on the hook for $2 million to run Dark Mofo. That's bad. Museum of Old and New Art, Mona, founder, Dave Rawls, said in a statement, What's worse, as far as I'm concerned, is that if we ran Dark and nobody came, I'd lose $5 million or more because I would have to cover the absent ticket revenue. So we see like the predicament some of these larger events have is that they've, you know, they've got all these plans. And unfortunately, it's... It, it comes at a stage where, like, we've really got to pull the plug or not, um, and in some cases just choose to re- reduce the losses that we might receive. As I mentioned, Download Fest was cancelled due to one of the headliners, Mike and Romance, being pull- pulled out. Um, and so this is and will have widespread and varying impact, This the related um, measures to try and reduce the impact of COVID-19. And so in terms of the industries that are relevant to this podcast, the people who own and work at venues are really going to be impacted, as well as those who perform at venues, um, some of which it's a full-time career for and others for whom it's just a passion and they have other jobs which they go on which may or may not be impacted. And for the first group, it's very hard to support in person without contributing to the problem. Um, the government really needs to step in and assist with all those sorts of things. But people are doing fundraisers, and I encourage everyone to support them um, when they come to your attention. For the second group, while I think government should also supplement people's lost income, you can assist people of your own accord. So where you have available money, you should endeavour to put some into the industry to help musicians out and related people by buying music and merch. And, you know, some people have stepped up to the plate. Lachlan Dale, the label god from Artist Catharsis, is doing his part by doing a sale on the label's music and giving all the profits to the creators. So I encourage you to check out their catalogue. And also tomorrow, Bandcamp are having a buying day uh, where everything is going to the creators. So lots of opportunities to support people when... I'm, I'm a big government guy. I think government should just give people money where their incomes are... Um, reduced due to in, uh, situations beyond their control. But unfortunately, it doesn't always work out like that. And the government certainly is taking certain actions, but it's unclear whether that'll support everyone to the amount they need. So where you have the ability to contribute, you really should in this kind of situation. But let's go to the interview now. So I interviewed Alex Dillon and Ben, who are guitarists from Canberra post-rock band Lost Coast. Their debut album, Lost Coast, is out now, and they're going to be playing a secret show, maybe or maybe not. Um, uh, Yeah, I interviewed them, I think it was about a week ago, and the the rapid pace at which this situation is changing, who knows what's going on. Um, But if that's something you're interested in, and it's something you can attend safely at the time that they're doing it... um, Check out their Facebook page. The songs I played during the interview are Dylan and Lehmetti. Oh, fuck. I don't know. Anyway, it's you can, you can figure it out from the, the tracks that are actually on the album, which one that most matches up to. Uh, but Alex, Dylan and Ben, uh, they are from Lost Coast. So before we get to any of the questions, introduce yourselves and um, just what you do in the band. Mm. Yeah, okay. Uh, Alex, you can go first. Well, I'm Alex and I play guitar. Uh, cool. I'm Ben. I also play guitar. I'm Dylan and I also play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> just guitar. Just the guitarist. <laughs> so how did the band start? Um... Yeah, well, it's been a long history, I guess. Um, I think we we all met, uh, well, Alex, Dylan, and I 
met in college, but Alex and I uh, and Luke, the drummer, um, all went to high school together. So um, we had been playing in a couple of bands beforehand, um, just, you know, a couple of high school stuff, <laughs> nothing too outrageous. Probably not mention much about those. Yeah, yeah, we won't talk for too long about those bands. Um, but then I think in college really is when we started um, yeah, actually making things. Yeah, actually kind of playing as a group, um, as this group with this kind of direction in mind. Um, and then, I don't know, we, we stopped playing for a while, I think, uh, and then got all back together and kind of actually formed as Lost Coast. Um, and then uh, a couple years down the track, we played a show with just we had Pat sub in on bass um, because Luke was away and Dylan played drums for the set. And I think after the set, we were all just like, oh, well, why don't we just add Pat to the band and make him play bass? And then Dylan, Alex and I can all play guitar and we can we can really rock out <laughs> a little harder. Um, and I think that was that was how we ended up with our five-piece configuration today. Now, this is something I like to ask all instrumental bands, even though it may not be a particularly interesting or relevant question to you guys. But, like, why are you instrumental? What, what What's happened in the history of the band or its early incarnations that made it so you never you had a, never had a vocalist or you just didn't go down that road? No, so I used to do um, some vocals, um, and I was actually digging through a few old tracks. Um, so, our, like, our first demo tracks were all basically just songs with vocals. They were just kind of, like, more, uh, I guess, proggy songs that, like, just had, like, one verse on them, and then the rest was instrumental. And I think then after that we just started writing only instrumental songs. Um, I think the direction of the band was always, like, we're trying to be, uh, like, a instrumental-only post-rock band, but I don't know. I think there was a period there where I was writing songs and bringing them to the band as we were originally, and then we just kind of put them together into songs. Uh, And then after that, I just, like, I didn't want to write lyrics. (laughs) I didn't want to sing. So that kind of just killed that aspect of it. But I don't know, maybe Alex or Dylan has more to add on that. Uh no, I'm not really sure. I mean, yeah, we. I think the music we mostly like is usually instrumental anyway, so uh, influence from that, I guess, uh, maybe made the decision for us, but ultimately I guess it was Ben's decision whether he wanted to continue singing or not. So, Yeah, it was that kind of that choice of just being like, nah, I'm not going to add any vocals to this. It, like, doesn't need it. It's interesting sort of going through um, listening to the – stuff you released before the, the album. And I think there's some vocals in um, Pyrocumulus, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. So that's probably the only track that's out there um, with vocals on it at the moment. And, and what about the name? Where'd Lost Coast come from? Uh, that's a uh, nice and funny story. Well, not a, no, it's not re- even really a story. It's more just like we're shit at naming things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and we were kind of like, this is when we were a four piece. We were kind of just bouncing around ideas and they were all pretty average. And then I think Dylan sent through a message and was like, how about Lost Coast? Mm-hmm. And then I think we all just kind of were like, yep, that sounds cool. Let's settle on that. But Dylan got that from um, Half-Life 2. Uh, I think it's an expansion in Half-Life 2 or something. Like a, yeah, just a mini engine type of thing. Yeah, so it's like a subtle Half-Life 2 reference and that a few people have picked up on it, um, which is always fun. Like I, you know, one time I mentioned the name of, a, of the band to a friend and he was like, oh, is that from Half-Life? And I was like, yeah. So let's get to the music. So you guys released um, tape back in 2015, I think, um, and then uh, Colorless in 2016, um, and yeah. then so, and then you started, if I'm not mistaken, a little bit after that, working on the next album. Um, I, I think in some of the, the 
the notes about the album, it says that you've been working on it for about three years. Talk a little bit about that process from the when you start kind of, I don't know, generating new material that's eventually going to become this album up to when you start recording it. What's that process look like for you guys? Uh, it's a very long and slow process, I think. I think that one of the main reasons it took so long in between releases is just the fact that we were just like so slow to get anything organized and even like finalizing songs. Like I think we had a demo for Dylan and what would be maps like pretty early. Like I think we had that back in maybe 2016, 2017 and it just took forever to like write the rest of the album and put it all together. And then it took a long time to kind of, decide like oh yeah we're going to go into the studio like how are we actually going to approach the recording are we going to do it ourselves again or are we going to get someone else involved and and um uh go into the studio and and put it together in that sense um yeah so that that actually did take a while and like there's yeah a few other things that kind of get in the way like everyone's lives kind of kind of thing like i was uh traveling for a few months, um, in that time. Uh, and I think Luke was on and off at uni and Pat was finishing uni and everyone has jobs and all that kind of stuff. So it just like, was this kind of painstakingly slow process of getting, um, to the point of recording. I like to see if I can make any kind of leaps from earlier material to this material. I don't, I don't know if I have any great insight. If you've got any insight about sort of what you've taken away from Colourless going into Lost Coast, please share it with me. But one thing one thing I did notice is sort of like there is quite a few samples um, on Colourless. I think at least three of the songs include um, sort of non-instrumental samples. I'm, I'm just curious. If like, I, I don't believe there are any on Lost Coast. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm so but like that and um, just like in general, what, what do you sort of think is the development of the band over those kind of four years? Yeah, that's right. So like, I don't know, Colourless, because we recorded that ourselves um, and put that, like the production of it all together ourselves, um, I don't know, it just kind of felt more like we could not so much experiment, but we were trying to like put – a few extra things on top of it. Whereas I think uh, Lost Coast, the kind of the strength of the parts and the songs kind of work without any additional samples or anything like that. Um, I think one of the major developments from Colourless going to Lost Coast is that like Dylan became like a, a writing member of the band instead of just writing a bass part, he would actually, you know, bring fully completed songs basically to jams and then we'd work on those and those would end up as, as tracks. Um, whereas before, uh, like it was mainly me and Alex just kind of putting things together, bringing it to the band and then they'd get fleshed out in that sense. Um, so that's that, that kind of progression. I think kind of aesthetically, we, I don't know, we've probably gone more into the like riff, riffy uh, vein instead of like a, I don't know, I guess Colourless was a little more static, a little more ambient. Diving a little bit deeper into that aspect of writing, how do you, how do you guys write? Like how, how do you kind of generate ideas, progress ideas forward as a band? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a few ways and I'll, it mainly mostly starts with just a riff mainly at the beginning and then we just build off of that and then think about what can happen, what might happen and experiment with things that way. Um, but most of the time we might just jam something out and if it sticks or maybe something we can build on or something, uh, that's usually one way it can go. Um, yeah. The other way is there's just whole songs that are already written by by Dylan or half songs that we just finish off or something. Mm. Yeah. I think there's like maybe like three approaches to the, the writing process is like 
either, yeah, someone comes in with a complete track, like Dylan basically had written all of Dylan. Um, and then we just kind of worked it out and worked out the parts and like, you know, added a few embellishments and whatever. Um, the other approach would be like, yeah, like Alex said, just getting in a space jamming. Like I think David was literally just a jam, um, and then like recorded it on our phone or whatever, and then listened back to it, came back to it the next jam session and actually made it into like, uh, an actual song. Uh, and then, yeah, third, like Alex said, would be like, like one person brings in an idea and then we build off that idea. In terms of like you guys individually, um, Dylan, I'm, I'm interested in, in how you sort of approach the track Dylan if it's still within living memory. Um, but also the rest of you guys, if any sort of particular unknown songs or just sort of approaches come to mind, like from, from that more basic step when you haven't brought anything to the band, like how, how do you approach kind of, you know, uh, uh, trying to either create a part of a song or, or working through an entire song? I guess I'll, I'll go first. Um, <clears throat> in terms of Dylan, I think originally, it, I wrote it ages ago, but it was like a piano song. And then, yeah, kind of just changed that around in the software and uh, showed it to these guys. And it became what it is today. But in terms of, like, I guess the other songs on the album, uh, I guess you could say I also just build off a simple riff or something, and the song sometimes comes out from that. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to think kind of specifically to a track. Like, I think maybe what is uh, CX Azurus kind of started with Dylan playing the or Alex playing that main guitar line, that, that arpeggio. Um, and then Dylan playing his little melodic line, Lick. which I think that you guys probably worked out before we had even started playing that song. Yeah. Um, and then we came in and I just thought, you know, uh, putting swells over, it's probably nicer than trying to add a counter melody or anything like that. And then, and then I think like we had that section normally when we're writing, we'll just play a section over and over and over again like too long like we'll just be playing it for five minutes or something that's just too long and then we'll be like oh no that's way too long we need to cut this down um and then it just kind of i always kind of think like what's what comes next um so we i think with that song specifically we kind of had the first part and then uh, I think I came up with the second section and basically just p played that out and Alex would have just jammed over it. And then we kind of had that, that direction of like, Luke, you're just going to kind of build um, like a really simplistic drums over the top of this um, and have the, the kind of the dynamic progression of like, it's going to come up, it's going to go back down, it's going to come up, it's going to go back down and then it's going to hit this top end uh, and then I think once again, like once we had that section done and we played it over and over, um, I think I, I was like in a jam, I was just like, yeah, I think there should be another section and we just kind of nutted out something else. Um, if we jammed the end of that song. Yeah. And it all just kind of came together. Yeah. Just another example, I guess, of just seeing what sticks and experimenting over and over and, I mean, I'm not sure during the process we try to tell a story with the songs or anything like that or any sort of emotional, I guess, uh, story, I guess, that some bands like to do, I guess. Um, I think mostly we just kind of play something that sounds good and that I guess maybe we'd listen to ourselves. Um, mm. Yeah, it is that kind of writing through, through playing most of the time. Um, it's just like, I guess how you approach each track, uh, will probably end up being different every time. Um, sometimes you come into it being like, Oh, we want to write like a, a nice little, a song that doesn't have any kind of crescendoing 
heavy bits or anything like that. We just want to play uh, a song that we'll end up like Beacon to. Like we just, you know, want this kind of airy ambience kind of thing. Um, and then we'll just go with that idea in mind, I guess. Well, one thing that's kind of interesting about um, being a, a five piece, having three guitars is that like, you know, theoretically you guys could all play each of the different sections. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, and you, you could, you could just switch around and anyone could do any particular thing. How does it get determined? Like, all right, this part's you guys, this part's you, you know, Alex, you got that part. How does that kind of get determined? I don't know. It's like a, I don't know if that's a very important thing, but I, I find that fascinating. Um, let's say the songs are written. Uh, I guess if, if there's music to it, we can just pick a part. Yeah. Which is usually what happens. Otherwise, for the jam songs, I guess you could call them, we've essentially written our own parts in jamming it out. Mm. And I guess that's the selection process for that one. Yeah, so. exactly. It's like, yeah, there's no really real need to like interchange a part or anything like that. Uh, you could think of it in like, you know, what kind of sounds good for the instrument or like is Dylan going to be able to like let that riff play better on his guitar than, you know, me or Alex or, you know, like what, what kind of suits each person better. But yeah, most of the time parts are interchangeable, but we wouldn't interchange them. No, I think we're kind of each independent when it comes to what we want to play. Like just let the other guitar do what they want to do. And yeah, if they're happy playing it or if it sounds good, um, it's usually just kind of ends up that way. Yeah, it's like a uh, unspoken agreement. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Give each other freedom, and yeah, you, I guess it comes out okay. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like making three parts into a whole kind of thing. Mm. It's like three individual, or even five individual voices. Like most of the time, we're not telling Pat or luke what to do either they're kind of just putting it together and hopefully it all kind of meshes in the one cohesive idea i, I think you also mentioned in some of the writing about uh the album sort of the impact of live performances on uh working through material talk a little bit about that aspect of it yeah i think one of the big things is that we had these songs for so long and like normally these guys kind of get pretty antsy about like we would, we play a lot of shows around Canberra and that kind of thing. And so these guys would, would always want to just throw a new song into the set just to like, just to have something new to play basically. So I think basically every track, maybe bar like beacon or something else was played live before recorded. Um, and then once they were recorded, they became like mainstays in the set um, so we were playing them long before the album was released. Um, and it's kind of like a, in a sense, you're kind of like road testing the song. It's like, is this hitting right? I, what's the sound like live? I, I guess because we approached it, most of the writing, like uh, jam sessions kind of thing, it's good to kind of take that jam put it in a live scenario and see if it actually works. Cause if it doesn't work, then yeah, you got a problem. <laughs> you mentioned beacon, um, beacon two. talk a little bit about that. And, um, sort of, so beacon started off on the original album. You brought that and, um, I, I don't remember it's in the original title title, but sunset over to colorless. But now you've sort of brought, I don't know, the idea of beacon, over to Lost Coast. Talk a little bit about why Beacon sort of come through all that time with you guys. Um, I guess they kind of, a lot of the tracks that we were working on um, for the record, we would just give them like placeholder names um, that were like Beacon 2 or Sunrise 2 or something like that, where it's like you're kind of following a similar aesthetic for the new song, but you know, you've approached it. It's a brand new song. It's completely different. Um, and I think 
kind of conceptually the idea of this kind of through line of having Beacon being on the original record and then Beacon appearing, you know, Beacon Part 2 or Beacon 2 as whatever it is. Um, it, it kind of shows this aesthetic through line through the two releases in that you've got the first Beacon being this kind of, you know, airy ambient piece and then the second one is this, you know, on the similar kind of aesthetic line. Um, but I think, you know, that's about it more than it just being like a placeholder name that's stuck forever. Yeah, I guess it's an intention to just be the more ambient thing, I guess. Yeah, and I think going forward, like, I think it's nice when that kind of thing happens. It's like you've got a continuation on, on the same idea in a, in a way. Now, say it's Azraeus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, that's good. Uh, I've got, I've got. I, I was trying to figure out how it possibly should be pronounced. And I've got the thing, and I, I still fuck it up. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't think we get it right. Either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. Um, longest song in the album. Um, I'm not sure if that's necessarily an interesting category inherently, <laughs> but uh, I, it's something I just like to pick out often and and sort of give an opportunity to talk a little bit about that one specifically. So talk a little bit about that track. Um, you know sort of how it came about. Yeah, I think the writing we kind of talked about a little bit yeah, early. earlier is that like Dylan and Alex had kind of worked on that first main riff um, together and then they brought it in uh, and, yeah, like I said, we kind of kept playing it over and over and over and then just kind of worked out the next section and then the next section. Mm. I think for me personally it's one of my – like favorites on the record just because of how kind of conventionally post rock it is in a sense. It's like this kind of elongated track that just kind of meanders for a bit and gets bigger and bigger and then kind of explodes and then just kind of keeps rocking from there. But I guess uh, the others might have a a different idea yeah, about cool. it. Because we just have so much freedom to do what we want with it. So um, it's like all, well, um, what's next that we can do and ended up just being like, oh, we can play this soft a bit for a while and then maybe repeat that for a while too because it sounds good. And it's like, oh, well, how could we end it? Oh, let's just jam something out. And it just ended up being how long? 17 minutes, 14 nah, minutes? 30, yeah, 13. Yeah. Something like bordering on 14 yeah, minutes. Yeah. We just still had all these ideas and things we wanted to work on with it. Yeah. Um, and we just thought, oh, okay, why not? Yeah, and that's, a, you know, the beauty of it is there's no real restriction. It's like, in a sense, you could you could argue, like, oh, this part goes on for too long or something, but it's like, oh, it works. <laughs> <laughs> so mm. might as well just leave it. Last question about the songs in specific, but if I move on to the sort of more sort of general album details, I think it's the last track, David. So back in, like, early 2000s, when people used to actually own CDs, they would do the thing at the end where they'd have like a, a few minutes of silence and then they'd have that weird hidden track, which yeah, no one yeah, ever listened that. to. Like that, that, That's kind of the vibe I get from David. Like there's a little bit of silence and then you go into a bit more music. T- talk a little bit about what, about what you were trying to get with, um, with that particular, I don't know, dividing up of the music in David. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. We were trying to put the secret song in there. Um, literally because yeah, exactly that reason. Like all the old records that we would listen to where they've got that, you know, five minute pause or however many minutes long pause. And then they'll, there'll be that secret song. Um, yeah, that secret song that we call it, (laughs) um, was part of another song that was like a, you know, a fully completed song. It just, we just, didn't like the whole song. So (laughs) yeah. So we just kind of cut that first half out and just put in that last riff and then just added it to the end of David.
So you mentioned how you titled um, Beacon 2. Um, I can imagine why you titled Dylan. Um, <laughs> but, but talk a little bit about more generally how you come up with album tracks. Uh, given what you've said, like about, you know, obviously you don't have lyrics and you, you have mentioned that you're not like interested in sort of telling some sort of um, story behind the music. Talk, talk a little bit about the title tracks of the album. Yeah, I think we're we just kind of approach it in terms of like write the song and then put a name to it. So it's like, unless someone's, you know, got a set name for something, um, they'll often just be like a placeholder name. Like Dylan was a placeholder name. It was just because Dylan came in with the song and in every jam, when we played the song, we'd say, Oh, let's play Dylan. And so it like just stuck and we just left it as it was. Um, I think uh, go through the like the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of the times, yeah, it was just like placeholder names where like we had an old song called Beginning, uh, so we named this one Beginning Two, and then that became Two B, which is like a reference. So like a lot of the, well, a few of the tracks on the record do have these kind of like little references in them. Like Two B is a reference to um, Neo Automata. And the Hermit is a reference to like a tarot cards. Um, and the world is a reference to Jojo's bizarre adventure, uh, bizarre adventure. So it's like, there's kind of like silly little references in the names. We're not taking the naming of things too seriously because this record didn't really have like a conceptual outline or anything like that. You're kind of free to do whatever you want (laughs) in terms of naming the songs. In terms of like the the cover art visual design of the bands and more generally as well, uh, let's start off with the cover art. Um, Who did you get to do that? What was their brief for it? Yeah, so um, Corinne Caro did the artwork. Um, she's an artist, uh, like a digital illustrator that I met um, while I was on a artist residency. Um, she, the, I think the brief we gave her was like. Well, I showed the guys her work and they were all really impressed by it. And and then I think I think Alex kind of looked through her work and um, went, oh, I like something like this, kind of pulled out a piece that was on the same line as what we came up with um, for the cover-up. But I think we did kind of give her a brief of like we would like this kind of singular figure like the girl on a hill with this kind of sunset um yeah sunset scene and like put it in the desert because the last cover was at the ocean um so and she kind of put that together gave us like a a few options i guess she gave us like four uh kind of direction she could go with it. And we kind of shot with that one. Um, and it all came together really well. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the briefing process or anything like that. I think we wanted something with a bit more color because <laughs> the last album cover was. Yeah. Almost. Dark, yeah. It? Like almost monochromatic in a sense. Like it was just like blue and black. Like the opposite of this one. Yeah. And this one's like very vibrant um, in terms of the color palette. And I think, yeah it kind of works pretty well. I'm wondering if that has any connection between, um, so I was going through your Facebook page and there was a couple of images you were using to promote some live shows and they kind of had a very similar vibe of two colors sort of separating the sky and the landscape. Is, is there any connection between those, those two sort of things? I don't think maybe, maybe not a conscious connection between them though. I think like a few of those uh, posters and stuff like they were a few of my pictures um, and I am kind of interested in that kind of like landscapey, you know, yeah, very much kind of like Vista um, photography and that kind of stuff. So I guess that would kind of subconsciously add to the direction we were going, but I, I don't know in terms of like other inspirations. Um maybe what you guys would think about other inspirations. Mm, not too much. 
Turns out we all like the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very one-track-minded group. In terms of the um, typography font, I don't know what the right word is, um, you, you guys have a very sort of simple aesthetic for it in terms of like <laughs> the posters you use, the, the way the band's name is set out on the albums. Talk a little bit about why you sort of just had that very simple approach to it. Um, so yeah, it's Times New Roman, <laughs> which is a, yeah, the most basic of basic fonts. Yeah. I think maybe one of the main reasons it's so basic is that I am not a graphic designer. <laughs> so <laughs> like when we were early days, like putting posters together and that kind of stuff, um, like I would just do the design and it would just be as basic as possible. Um, and I think that's kind of just carried through uh, in a sense. Like I, I actually really like the Times New Roman lowercase everything. Of course you do. <laughs> I think, yeah, kind of like the, the simpler aesthetic kind of works with the music as well. I don't know. It's interesting because it's obviously a very common font. Um, yeah. But like it, 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 the way you sort of set it out, it, it's sort of like, oh, there's, there's a, a, a poster that, Lost Coast has made themselves, you know, it's it sort of, it is an inter- interesting that sort of creates a um, sort of uni- universal visual design for all that stuff. And it's super easy to, to just do over and over again. Speaking of uh, posters and all that jazz, you had the launch, uh, I think it was a week or two ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Last Friday. Yeah. How did that go? Yes. Pretty well. Um, I would say, uh, yeah, no, it was a good show. Um, I guess like, there's not much I can say, but it was a good crowd. Um, hopefully we played well. I don't know. People seem to enjoy it. So that's good. Um, it was good to have, uh, Hashishan down as well. Um, yeah, getting like the last couple of shows we've had, um, Sydney bands come down as well. And it's, it's been really good because there's, not too many other uh, instrumental acts playing our similar kind of music in camera. So it's good to be able to bring people down and show the crowd here that this kind of music does exist in Australia. This is kind of a question I like to ask everyone when I talk about their live shows. Like When you're playing, like there's obviously the mechanical component of your trying to play the notes and you're playing them with regards to the attributes that that particular note is playing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like Mm. more beyond that, like what are you trying to do when you perform? Uh, I guess you can go first, Alex. (laughs) um, Well, I mean, you can only hope that people are enjoying what you're playing. So I think, I guess that's our intention just to, um, just play music that you hope people enjoy. It's, it's, as far as I go, in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it is a bit of a simple approach when you when you're not conveying like a very clear emotional message. When you when you're not, you know, singing some lyrics that kind of evoke certain ideas and emotions uh, for people, and they can't kind of have that connection. Um, a lot of our songs are kind of, yeah, just like loud and energetic in a way. So we're just kind of trying to convey that um, through the performance. Um, but I guess, Dylan, you might have your own ideas. Uh, yeah, like cheesy answer would be, I guess we're all just trying to make our instruments sing, considering we don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to kind of convey, I don't know, musicality, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's always musical <laughs> through our instruments. So, yeah, we're, we're kind of taking on the role of that kind of lead, I guess, each. Moving on to some more general questions about you guys. Maybe we should just go around the table, Alex, Dylan, Ben, just for an arbitrary order. So when do you guys start us start listening to post rock, instrumental, progressive music? When that guy, when, when that come around for you guys? Oh, late teens, I guess. You would discover things like explosions in the sky and Sigur Ross. 
um, and one of the early ones was Signal Hill. I just heard it and I never put it down. And being playing guitar and always wanting to play music that you enjoy, you just try and play that. Because before that, it was mostly just I would only listen to really metal, you know, back in the days. Mm. Parkway Drive were a thing, um, at least for us, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty early on. I never heard anything like it because, you know, metal was very aggressive, actually, you know, screaming in your face and stuff, which has its benefits, I guess. But nothing like instrumental or you know, taking your own interpretation from it because there was no lyrics or anything. So it's kind of put you on a, its own journey, I guess. And post-rock is pretty good at doing that. So that was pretty early on for me. But Explosions in the Sky were the big one that got me into post-rock, of course. Everyone, everyone loves Explosions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would be... Yeah, late teens, late high school. Um, same deal. I think I discovered Explosions. Um, and then was listening to a lot of cinematic soundtracks as well at the time. So I guess I was like, man, a blend of those things is in a way kind of what post-rock could be imagined as. I don't know. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Before that, I did listen to a lot of metal, and I guess even during that period, I still listened to a lot of metal. So I did have a hard rock metal band, you could say. Yeah, yeah. So these guys. So yeah, it was all had different projects, but no post rock is just—it's really easy to explore. It's really fun to explore. Um, and it's surprisingly easy to jam along with these four. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me it was around the same time as well. It's like when we were in college, uh, late teens kind of time. I think the first real band that I got into into were um, This Will Destroy You. Um, I think I remember originally being like, oh, this is kind of boring. This isn't metal. <laughs> like, yeah, where's the breakdown? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we were... At that time, we were playing, like, punk and metal and stuff, and it was, like, so, in a sense, so jarringly different to just kind of have these kind of, like, slower move- movements in the music. Um, and then I eventually came around, and we started playing together and that kind of thing. And I, yeah, I think that, like, approaching it, there's so much you can do within the genre, like... There's so much variance within the genre as it is and as it was back then as well that it was kind of so interesting to go through, to go deeper than like one band or two bands kind of thing and and just keep seeing what exists um, within the the moniker, I guess, of post-rock. I'm curious, to to what extent are you guys still fans of heavy metal or... I don't know, associated styles and like what other musical styles that sort of don't fall within that, that kind of uh, box of post-rock instrumental prog music are you a fan of? Yeah. Yeah. These guys, every time I come Meshuggah. over, these guys are listening to Meshuggah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know. I like pop music, I guess. You'd probably hear some of it on Triple J. Yeah, I, I do still listen to heavy music, but it would probably just fall to the range of Meshuggah and the like. Mm. Yeah, what about you, Alex? Yeah, definitely Meshuggah and Misery Signals is another, yes. another good one. Yeah. Misery Signals, always plug them. Yeah. Yeah, there's some kind of hang-ups from your past that you can never get over. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I think, you know we all have that kind of broad sense of what we like in terms of music. Um, and your taste, you know, is always evolving. Like my taste now is, is a lot more just like R and B and like Neo soul and stuff like that. So it's like, that's not really all that related to post rock. 
Um, but I still very much appreciate the genre and want to hear everything that's coming new um, and want to keep like working within that sound as well. Ben, I was able to find your website, so I'll get to you in a minute. Um, oh, nice. But Alex and Dylan, are, are there any other projects you're involved in? No, not much. I mean, Dylan was in a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I Well, that band died a while ago, but I was in a band called Machine of Genova. Um, it was a pretty solid project. It was, I guess you could say the sound was not too far off from Christ now it's like Converge or something Converge yeah yeah. and uh, yeah otherwise no I'm not in any other projects Ben talk a little bit about your other work and Soft Hollow yeah so uh, SH or Soft Hollow is like my solo project in a sense it's something that kind of just goes on in the background Um, it's kind of taking more of a compositional approach to music and it's kind of more focused on like avant-garde and like new music and uh, kind of going more electronic and more uh, effects process driven and less kind of like structural or anything like that. Um, Though at the same time, like I'm just kind of, falling into the trappings of like the modern classical kind of thing. And so, yeah, getting, getting more and more of like the kind of, um, I guess like the kind of, um, hammocky or like, uh, uh, what's his name? Slow meadow kind of sound. Um, yeah, it's more of just like a, I guess my own personal compositional approach to, music um because i write new music and all that kind of stuff i'm just kind of making an outlet where it's music that i can perform by myself and write and record by myself um yeah could could you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by a compositional approach yes i think it's more of like a sit down with an aesthetic in mind, with a, like a direction for a piece in mind, like a, some of it is kind of experimental in that you're, you're experimenting with a sound or you're, you've like in some tracks, like I make a sample and then play it through and do like effects processing over it and that kind of stuff. Um, but there is kind of like a compositional direction. Uh, though I guess with like the lost coast approach, it's more of like a let's do this now, let's jam this now, let's let's um, let's all play our individual parts. Um, though that that could change. You know, we we've been working on new stuff that has had a pretty clear direction recently as well. So, um, you know, all this stuff is kind of subject to change as the times change. You're quarantined for two weeks, and you you're only able to listen to music. What what kind of music are you listening to? What 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 bands? What albums are you listen to? <laughs> you can go first, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I just listen to a lot of Johnny Greenwood's motion picture albums, I guess. Oh, nice. <laughs> what about you, Dylan? Uh, that's a good question. What do you got on repeat? Oh, I have on repeat. My sugar, clockwork. <laughs> Just my sugar. Just my sugar. That's really all I've been listening to. Yeah, nice. Um, uh, look, I keep. I'm either at the moment either listening to R and B girls sing about R and B girl stuff, or indie girls sing about indie girl stuff, indie girl rock. You guys are going insane. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'd be happy with it. I could listen to Summer Walker for two weeks. I could listen to Snow Allegra for two weeks. There's a lot of my sugar to cycle. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a lot. That's a big catalogue to get through. 
And sort of like the corollary question, um, what have you been listening to, reading, watching or, or playing lately in actuality? You can go first again, Alex. Uh, Factorio. You've been playing Factorio? Yeah. And that's it? That's <laughs> all you can do when you play Factorio. It's kind of a consume, full-time consuming thing. Yeah. What about you, Dylan? Uh, um, Rimworld. <laughs> what is that? Uh, you like, have these colonists and you have to... You crash land on the planet and you just kind of have to survive. Oh, cool. That's yeah, funny. Um, I have been listening to, uh, like I said, a lot of like Summer Walker and Snow Allegra and the new kind of R&B girls um, and JSOM, which is a nice kind of indie rock band, I guess. Saw her up in Sydney the other week. Um, and I've been playing a lot of Spyro recently as well. Um, but I've also been, yeah, trying to read as much as possible. Um, just finished a book called The Golden Country, which is about uh, immigration in Australia and, like, the kind of policy towards that and everything. And now I'm reading a book called the next 100 years, which already feels out of date because it was published in 2009 and it just just doesn't feel accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything published pre-2017 mid, mid is... Mm, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they got it all wrong. <laughs> it's all out of whack. <laughs> oh, goodness.
track was Le Hermeti or something similar to that. And the track that I played in the middle of the interview was Dylan. Thank you so much to Alex, Dylan and Ben for chatting to me of Lost Coast. And their album is Lost Coast out now. Some recommendations before I let you go. Um, so Noir Revere, they have their album Continuance. And it's... So I try to match up all these albums to the kind of music that the people I'm interviewing are playing. And so this one's a you know, a very sort of stereotypical post-rock album, but I really enjoy it. I think it's really well done. And this is no sort of nothing particular to this particular album, but uh, listening to it, it just always strikes me, like listening to post-rock, listening to Lost Coast and all that stuff. The, the ability of this type of music to surprise me, have really interesting sections which you don't expect, which... You don't always expect every part of music, but it's kind of, it often follows a particular idea. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I could have seen them doing this. It was like, with some post-rock music and other sort of styles, you can really have moments where it's like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that. That's really fun. And so that's that's kind of cool stuff. They also have a glitch opening to the track They Do Exist, which is always a really good time. Another album I'm going to recommend for you is The Long Way Down by Boneweaver. This is a project, as far as I can tell, the first release by Tristan Feller from uh, America. And it's this weird combination of post-metal, prog-metal, like more general metal and metalcore. And it, it's it's a very unique combination because it kind of has that gentleness to post-rock in some of it, particularly the instrumental tracks. And there are a few instrumental tracks and it's got the, he really goes for it in all the vocals, uh, really belting it out at all opportunities. Um, there's 11 tracks, which may seem quite a lot for a post-metal album, but quite a few of them are short, less than three minutes instrumental tracks, which fill in every second song. Um, so it's, it's an interesting experience, not quite post-rock in the way that Noir Rivar is, um, but it's a really interesting listen, and I encourage you to check it out. If you want to contact me, you can hit me up on social media at OzHunger, that's at AUSHunger on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and you can also send me an email australianhunger at gmail.com any comments, questions if you want to set up an interview maybe we can get that going but until next time thanks for listening